Hey, Redeem family. Thank you so much for joining us for the Redeem online message. We are starting a new sermon series today called The Best Version of You. The Best Version of You. But before we begin and go into what that will look like, I want to talk about the Olympics. I don't know about you, but Meg and I uh, are actually pretty big Olympics fans. We were actually married in 2008 on the day of the opening ceremonies. And so our honeymoon, we spent so much time just getting to relax and watch the Olympics. And so we each have our personal favorite sports. Meg loves the gymnastics. She watches it all the time. Uh, I watch it with her and I have an appreciation for what they do but I love track and field. I was a runner and I love watching track and field, but you find yourself watching these random sports, right? So we, my boys and I were watching archery, which was awesome. We were watching table tennis, which is incredible. And I don't think I could even return a serve from the women table, turn, table tennis players. Uh, we've been watching badminton, which is actually awesome. And I want to be playing badminton with you. David Rim, that's a shout out to you as you watch this because I know you love badminton. But hey, I want you to think through and go back to your childhood and think about what sport did you dream of growing up doing? What sport did you dream up growing up doing? I don't know about you, but I always wanted to be a basketball player. I grew up in a small town in Indiana. And the claim to fame of my hometown was that we had the world's largest high school basketball gym. This small town actually seated 9,350 people. Think about that. It's ginormous. And basketball was life in Indiana. Now, I grew up a Pacer fan. And so I don't know about you, but I, if you know this name, but I grew up a Reggie Miller freak. I loved Reggie Miller. Everything about Reggie Miller had posters on the wall. And part of it is because, look at me, I mean, I'm five foot ten, maybe. And so I knew that to be a basketball player or to be in the NBA, that I would have to develop a jump shot. That was the big thing. Like I had no hope unless I could nail some threes. And so every summer I would, I would go to the library and I would get books about becoming a better basketball player. My mom would take me to the library and I remember so many things in these books. Like one of them was that every day I was to shoot a hundred free throws, a hundred free throws. And then any of those that I missed, I would have to do something like push-ups or running. And so I would shoot 100 free throws in my front yard every day. And then there was this big movement for fingertip push-ups. I don't know if anybody's uh, 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 into health, but back in basketball, there was this belief that you should do fingertip push-ups, push-ups on your fingertips to make your, your hands stronger to be a better shooter. And then there was this book that was all about the mental side of being a better basketball player. And I remember it was weird things like, I spent almost a whole year sleeping with a basketball in my bed, and that was one of the things that they told you to do. They told you to look into the mirror and say, I am a great basketball player, which is just absolutely ridiculous. But one of the weirdest things that it told us to do is that it told me to go out and not have a basketball in my hand, but pretend jump shot and to think that every shot was going in. And it was this power of positive thinking that if I could get into the mood, mode that I was making every shot, that somehow that would translate and make me a better shooter. But think about how ridiculous it was. I was just like 12 year old out in my driveway, fake shooting a basketball. I can't even imagine what my neighbors thought as they drove by watching me play imaginary basketball. Now, 
there's, there's one thing that I, I want to talk about this is that we, as we think about the best version of you, I don't want us to get into this self-help mentality. As we talk about the best version of you, there's this, there, you could go down the route, r- route of thinking about this self-help mentality. And it's slipping into Christianity and Christendom, and, and, and it really is something that we have to be aware of as we enter this sermon series. We as believers can fall into the power of positive thinking, trying to find out more ways to be productive, being influenced, being more influenced by motivational quotes on Instagram than getting into the Bible and into the Word. Here's a wild stat, and I read this in an article. In 2016, the self-help industry in the U.S. alone was $9.9 billion. $9.9 billion. And and this article said that they're predicted by 2022 to be over $13 billion by 2022. You know, I was looking it up and some conferences charge over $3,000 to learn things like positive thinking and they walk on coals and they, they enter these meditative trances. And the, and, and, this, and the podcast industry is filled with podcasts that teach you how to make passive income and be the most productive and succeed at whatever you want to do in your life and to get rich and to get healthy and to get thin fast. And here's all these hacks on how you can self-improve your life. And there's a movement within the church. We see this as well, right? And we've been on it for the last few years where many of you may have felt this in churches where we're taking the best business ideas and sprinkling a little Jesus on there or some of the best self-help ideas and sprinkling a little Jesus on there. And I'm telling you that, that the best version of you is not that way. Now, I'm not saying this, that learning a new skill or, or making you better at work or being a better boss or a better parent or a better friend or a better spouse or, and self-improvement isn't a bad thing. What I'm trying to say is that when you replace seeking after God uh, and, and not seeking what the Lord has specifically for you, when we're not in, in the Bible studying it and we're not in mentorship with other believers and we're not in silence and prayer and listening to the Spirit and what He has for us, that's when it goes astray. And so, I want to say, as we look at the best version of you, I'm I'm talking about this. What does Jesus tell us about the best version of you? What does Jesus tell us about the best version of you? During these next six weeks, we're going to be looking at the passages on the Sermon on the Mount. As we look at the best version of you, we're going to actually look at the Sermon on the Mount, and we're going to look at Matthew 5 through 7. Now, we're not going to have time to go through every uh, passage on the Sermon on the Mount. So we're going to go through most of it. But I want to challenge you that as we go through this sermon series over the next six weeks, as it's summer, I want you to dig in and just read a chapter a day. We, we did this over Colossians. I thought it was so great to read just a chapter a day to just get into the Word and to stay in the Sermon on the Mount, to let it set into your heart. As we look at the best version of you, I want you to set the Sermon on the Mount into your heart. And I want to answer this question. So why are we doing this sermon series? Why is it important to do this sermon series right now? Well, one of our core values is to boldly engage our faith. To boldly engage in our faith. Our core values are what we believe that God is calling us to live 
uh, in as a body that would help us to fully live what God intends redeemed church to do in our community and our families and as a body and as a group of believers that are passionately doing his works here in the Lakewood, UP, Silicon DuPont, Spanaway area. And we desire to be a body that boldly engages in our faith with a passion so that people will be inspired by the way that we live. That's a core value of ours. We believe that it's important that we live passionately for Jesus. And part of living out of that passion is understanding what it means to be kingdom people what it means to be kingdom people. So as we start in Matthew 5, we're going to look at the Beatitudes and this radical new way of living that Jesus is telling us that we are supposed to live like. And as people who boldly engage our faith, we'll see that throughout the Beatitudes. And I want us to begin to reflect on this idea of our identity of being kingdom people, to live like we are citizens of the kingdom, to live like we're citizens of the kingdom. And so to fully understand Matthew 5, I want to take us back to Matthew 3, and we're going to look at John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist is preparing, you remember his job is to prepare the way for Jesus. And so he's telling his people to repent, and he declares to the people to follow this in Matthew 3, 1 through 12, 2, 1 and 2. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. John is speaking to the Jewish people who ha would have had this understanding of the kingdom of heaven. And for us, it's this idea of the kingdom of God. And he uses a Greek term that, has, that, that, is, that means come near. And the Greek term actually invokes this idea or this sense of this impending or something coming so close that it can no longer be ignored. And so he's setting up this idea for the Jewish people that they would have understand and understood that when Jesus starts his ministry, it will fulfill a bunch of Hebrew text prophecies, a bunch of prophecies within the Jewish tradition. So let's look at one of them, Daniel 7, 13 through 14. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and all people of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed." In this passage, we see this idea of kingdom. The Son of Man is coming. He will have dominion. He will have kingship. He will have glory. All people of all tongues, of all nations, will come and glorify Him and serve Him. And, it will, it will ne and this kingdom will never be destroyed. This kingdom will never be destroyed. The Jewish people were looking for that. Now fast forward to Matthew 4. From that time on, Jesus began to preach Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. From this time on is this meaning that Jesus is starting his public ministry and he now proclaims this important message. Repent, because the kingdom of heaven is near. Now the kingdom of God, as you can tell, is central to the theme of all the Gospels and all the writings in the New Testaments. 
Testament. It's so important for us to understand what it means to be a citizen of this kingdom. What does it mean to be kingdom people? It's a kingdom where God is the ruler and where God's will is carried out. That's what we're talking about. Now, many of the first century Jews would have read the prophecies and thought that the Messiah would come and reign and have a dominion and have an actual physical kingdom. They probably would have thought that it would have been by military or political might that this kingdom would have come. But Jesus ushers the kingdom in a radical way. And we're going to talk about that looking at the Sermon on the Mount. And we as believers actually run a similar risk. We can think of the kingdom as a future reality. We can think of it as, as us just surviving this planet crazy before we get taken to heaven. That's kind of a mentality that we have as Christians often. But the kingdom is actually in a dual dimension. It's here and it's present, present and it's not yet at the same time. Jesus initiates the kingdom on earth and whenever, wherever God's will is being carried out, the kingdom becomes a reality. And yet the kingdom is not fully manifested. We know that. The entire world doesn't yet come into this complete reality of God's will being carried out completely. Now, where does this put us? Well, as we look at the Sermon on the Mount and begin at, we begin by looking at the Beatitudes, we see this. Jesus is giving us a blueprint to the way of living as kingdom people. Jesus is giving us a blueprint to look at what does it mean to be kingdom people. The, these marks are the way that we're meant to live and the kingdom of God will advance and the will of God will be made known when we start to live this way. And so it's so important that we look at this. And I'm telling you, this is better than any self-help book. This is better than any motivational talk. This is better than any motivational posts on Instagram. We are to be shaped and to be challenged and to be called to this way of living. So we're gonna jump in and this is gonna be a straightforward talk, but we're gonna go line by line and talk about the blessed are those and simply go a little deeper, but when I, but I have an activity at the end that I wanna make sure that you hang around for. So let's just jump into Matthew 5 and we're gonna jump right in where, where uh, we're following this message where Jesus takes his disciples up to the mount to begin this sermon. In Matthew 5, 1 through 12. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemaker, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all, e all kinds of evil, evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets, who were before you. Now, as we jump in, we'll see this pattern, and I think it's incredible. God is saying, blessed are the, meaning to be a citizen of heaven and to have the Lord's blessing, here's how you're meant to live. 
But there's a pattern that happens, which is the second half of that line. It's what the Lord is going to do because of that. The Lord does the heavy lifting like always. We talk about this all the time. The Lord does the heavy lifting and gives a blessing if we simply live these characteristics out. And so let's dig into each characteristic. Number one, blessed are the poor in spirit. This is the idea of of us being completely and utterly no other way but dependent on God and not on ourselves. Being completely dependent on God and not on ourselves. Inwardly is this understanding that we have no ability in and of ourselves to please God. This acknowledgement that we are blessed and that the kingdom of heaven can advance when simply there's less of us and more of God. When there's simply less of us and more of God, his rule begins to take root into our lives. You know, one of my favorite verses, Paul is talking about this thorn in his flesh, this place where the messenger of Satan torments him. And the Lord answers in 1 Corinthians 12, 9, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest in me. Blessed are those who long for God's restoration and power through Jesus Christ. Less of us and more of God. That's the first point that's being made in the Beatitudes. Now point number two, blessed are those who mourn. This is the idea of mourning can go, can go a variety of different ways, but there's different interpretations, but all of them kind of revolve around this concept of those who recognize their need, those who grieve their sin, those who grieve what's going on in the inside, those who are willing to lose something here on earth and lose something of their life for the sake of the gospel. It ties to this first one, and it's not separate, right? But here's the beautiful part. In those moments, what's the promise? That we will be comforted. As kingdom people, it will be hard. You will lose some earthly gain. The walk is hard. That's part of the process. But the return is so good. We'll be comforted when we, when we are people who mourn. Now, number three, blessed are the meek. Blessed are the humble. Blessed are the gentle those who don't seek gain for themselves, but rather have hope in the Lord. Rather have hope in the Lord. Now, those who have this appreciation for this right positioning in their life, that is what that's basically saying. Those who are willing to be humble and who are willing to be gentle under all circumstances. You know, this is hard for many of us. Uh, the American way is not to be humble and gentle, but rather to kind of be out there and with the rise of social media, it's even more like, look at me, look at me. But we're called to be humble and gentle. And this is the upside down kingdom. This is the upside down kingdom that Jesus is talking about. He's, he's saying that it's actually, it's our weakness. It's not a weakness, but it's actually a part of us to be humble and gentle. And this doesn't mean that we're not supposed to be bold. That doesn't mean that we're not supposed to stand up for what's right. But even in those times that we're called to be bold, we're also called to this way of living, of being gentle and to be humble. And that shows the power of God to the people in radical ways. Titus 3.2 tells us, uh, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, 
and always to be gentle towards everyone. Now, point number four, blessed are the ones who hunger and thirst for righteousness. A quick story. My favorite thing uh, food-wise in the whole world is my mother-in-law makes a German chocolate cake that is to die for. It's the only thing I asked for for my birthday. And it's actually quite controversial because there's been a couple years where she or other people have tried to make this German chocolate cake, but it's only my mother-in-law's German chocolate cake. Now, I am so strategic with this German chocolate cake. I, I thirst... I mean, I, I hunger for this German chocolate cake starting my, my uh, birthday's beginning of November, probably about the week before uh, Halloween, I start thinking about this cake. And I strategically plan my eating on that day around this cake. I will actually eat less of my birthday dinner so that I can eat at least half of that German chocolate cake. And I'll feel terrible afterwards, but it's totally worth it. Now, this is this idea that we have to build up this level of appetite in our soul for the spiritual. For the spiritual. This level of desire for the personal righteousness. To boldly engage your faith, we have to long and hunger and thirst for righteousness. Wait, this is way more than attending church. This is way more than just praying every so often and reading the, the Bible every so often. This is sold out full on so that we personally are, uh, desire righteousness through our pursuit of God and that the kingdom can advance and the world begins to thirst and hunger for righteousness as we set the example. And the promise here is so important. It says that we'll be satisfied and we'll be satisfied with spiritual food and spiritual drink that is so much better than even my mother-in-law's German chocolate cake, if you could believe that. Now, point number five. Blessed are the merciful. Part of being a citizen of the kingdom is that we share in the goodness and and we share in sharing his goodness and mercy to others. And there's a promise that we'll actually get rewarded for it, right? Again, Jesus is setting this all up to show that the kingdom of heaven is here and so that we see that the kingdom breaks through when we are merciful to others. And it's tied to the one above. As we thirst and hunger for personal righteousness in our own life, God is building up compassion in us for our fellow man. He's building up compassion for us in our fellow man. And that allows us to be full of mercy, to be full of mercy. This is one of the ways that the kingdom advances. And I'm telling you, in a, loud, in a word that's loud and noisy and throwing a ton of rocks and a, and a ton of stones and a ton of sticks at people, us being able to give mercy to people is going to radically advance the will of God and the kingdom of God here on earth as it is in heaven. Now, point number six, blessed are the pure in heart. This is this idea of our hearts being clean of sin. This is this acknowledgement that, that our, of our sinful condition, condition, the sinful condition. It's getting our hearts and our minds right continually. It's asking for, for forgiveness, it's repenting of our sins, and it's cleaning and giving ourselves a pure heart that we can follow Jesus fully. Now my grandpa always had a bunch of sayings, but one of his was the greatest gift that you can give yourself is a clear conscience. The greatest gift that you can give yourself is a clear conscience. He said, so don't sin, and when you do sin, 
ask for forgiveness from God and from others quickly because there's a significance to this pure in heart because its promise is so significant in uh, as citizens of the kingdom when we have that pure heart what does it say it says that blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God now as we long to be a spirit-led church that's you and me a spirit-led church doing his works we have to see what the Father's doing and join with Him. We get to hear from the Spirit and hear what He wants us to do. It actually starts here. It starts in this pure of heart. It's all of us desiring this pure of heart and repenting and asking for forgiveness of our sins. And this is so important that we desire to have a clean heart and mind. Now, point number seven, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who, we, who can show how to live a peaceful life in the inside and be instruments of peace in their life. Now, this is huge for today. In every action, every post, every conversation, every lifestyle choice, are we willing and are we thinking about can we bring peace to this situation? Again, this is one of the areas that we can advance the, the kingdom so much is being instruments of peace in a world that does not actually uh, desire peace. And so we can be that peace here in the world. And number eight, and the last one I'm going to talk about today. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Jesus is telling his disciples and he's telling us that this is one of the precursors to faith. And he himself will live this out as we know, right? That even as we pursue righteousness with meekness and as we, uh, we give mercy to others, as we live humbly and gentle with pure hearts and in peace, all that we will still face persecution. And verse 11 tells us this, Blessed are you when they insult you and they persecute you and say all kinds of evil things against you and lying on account of me. But what do we see next? Again, this promise is what happens, that we as citizens of heaven, this is what happens. We are to rejoice and be glad because the reward is great in heaven. Now, the conclusion of these powerful teachings are that no matter what, we are to rejoice and be glad for our, re our reward is great in heaven. That's what it means to be a citizen of heaven. That's what it means to be kingdom people that are desiring God's will to be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And we see in the Beatitudes that if we live this way, that the kingdom begin, begins to advance and that God's will will be made known here on earth. And that's what we're all about. That's way better than any self-help or motivational talk that when we live these characteristics out, that God's will will advance. Now, here's what I want you to do. Uh, on this page, you can uh, download, I have just a quick assessment where I go through each one of these. And I just want you to pray and reflect on where you're at on each one of these things. Where are you at on pursuing righteousness? Where are you at on living with meekness? Where are you at with living, uh, being a peacemaker? And write and reflect on what that is for you. And I want you to download that and I want you to do that. So as we end, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we are kingdom people. Lord, we know that your will advances when you work through us, alongside us, when you work before us, Lord. 
Help us to be so in tune with your spirit. Lord, help us to have a, 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 a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. Help us to have a pure heart. Help us to live with meekness and gentleness and humility to be people of peace that carry out your gospel. Lord, help us to be uh, individuals who live so radically different on this earth that people look and say, I want to pursue the living God like they are. Help us to be people who boldly engage our faith. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, next week we are doing a cookout at Fort Silicon Park at 11 a.m. on Sunday. We'd love to have you there. We'll do church services and then we'll have an all-family cookout. So we'll see you there.